Thank you, Rand. First Corinthians is where we will continue this morning. We'll be in chapter 3. We'll start in verse 18, and Lord willing, we'll finish verse uh, chapter 3. So, I hope this has been a book that you've enjoyed. We still have a ways to go in it. It is a good book, and there's uh, so much for us in this, this letter uh, just to kind of refresh you, to catch you back up on, on the things that are happening. Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth he's gotten some bad reports from. Uh, they haven't been doing the things that they're supposed to be doing, and there's been rumors and in, in, in these reports that have come from people that Paul knows. And so he, he, they wrote a letter to Paul. Paul replied. They wrote another letter. This is really Paul's second letter to them. Uh, at, at Corinthians, who's talking through all of these issues that are taking place. And what we've seen as we've walked through this is the main issue Paul's dealing with with this local church is unity. That they had their favorite Sunday school teachers, they had their favorite ministers, Paul, Apollos, uh, uh, Cephas, uh, and then the, the, some who claimed to belong to Christ. But what they were doing was they had elevated the status of those ministers so much so that if you didn't follow the right minister in their, in, in their mind, they would disassociate with you. There was strife there. There was envy. There was a struggle. We saw some of this last week, and I appreciate Mr. Jones for, for filling in and preaching for me. One of the things I, I wanted to do, because been, I've been gone a few times um, this, this month and preaching through this, is I wanted us to hear the same gospel message from different voices, which plays a lot into what the message last week was largely about where you have Paul talking about Apollos and, and himself and, and who actually gives the growth. Right? We can plant the gospel seed and we should. We can water the gospel seed and we should. But at the end of the day, you and I cannot grow the gospel in anyone. Only the Lord grows. And so I think that's important for us as a church. That's important for us as Christians to remember we can cultivate the soil. We can make the conditions as good as they possibly can be for growth. But at the end of the day, God is the one who gives the growth, not us. It's why it's important for churches. When we think about a healthy church, when we think about churches that are doing really well, most of the time our minds go to, well, which church is the largest? That must be the most healthy church. And small churches must not be healthy. But what Paul's telling us here is that's not always the case. It's God who gives the growth. The health of a church isn't really dictated by its size. I think you have large churches that are very healthy. I think you have small churches that are very healthy. And I think you have large churches that are very not healthy and small churches that are not healthy. The goal is to be centered on the gospel, to be unified in the Lord. And so we get to this passage in, in verse 18. So let's read it and then we will uh, pray and we will dive into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, those that are able to gather here. 
God, as we worshiped you through singing, I pray now, God, that our attention would turn to worshiping you through hearing your word proclaimed. God, I pray that you would help me to be faithful to the text. I pray that you would encourage our hearts where we need encouragement, that you would convict our hearts where we need conviction, and that you would grow us in your gospel. Help us to remember you're the one who gives the growth. And then help us to start pulling weeds, planting, and watering. Thank you for Jesus, for the finished work of the cross. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. I, I like this passage a lot, and I like the way that this passage starts out when it talks about this idea of deception. Deception's hard, and we need to understand what's going on here <laughs> Most of the time, those who are deceived don't understand that they're deceived. If you've been tricked by something, I got some magic tricks I can do for you that are not real magic tricks. Ready? It's right there. Yeah. It's deception. I may have shown that one a few times. There's a few that, that have seen it, but nonetheless, it's a trick. What we see throughout the text of Scripture and throughout the Bible is that Satan is really good at deceiving. And that you and I, in our hearts, in our sinful place that we are, are really good at being deceived, and sometimes we'll deceive ourselves. And that you and I live in a broken world that has been marred by sin and that is not glorifying the Lord in the way that it's supposed to, in the way that it's created to do. And so there's deception that's there as well. And so Paul starts this section on the tail end of talking about growth, on the tail end of talking about uh, you plant seeds, you water seeds, and God gives the growth. And at the very end of that section, he talks about how the Holy Spirit dwells within you and I, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, that that God is not just simply some out there somewhere doing something, that God, if we're believers in Jesus, is dwelling within our hearts, growing us, sanctifying us, making us more and more holy as we live our lives out. And so Paul tells this church who's struggling with a lot of things, and, and we're about to get into some of like the real rough things that the church at Corinth is dealing with. Paul's telling these Christians, don't be deceived. If you think that you're wise, especially in this age, if you think that you're wise on earth, if you can live according to the earth's wisdom, you're not wise. It's foolish. In fact, Paul says you have to become a fool to be wise. If you remember 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says this, and it kind of helps us decipher this language. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. Paul's getting back to the crucifixion of Jesus. And that does not make sense to the world. To the world, if you have a king, if you have somebody who's establishing a kingdom, which is what Jesus came to do to inaugurate the kingdom of God, to to bring this kingdom to people, it doesn't make sense if your king dies. That's how kingdoms are lost, according to the world. 
But what Paul's telling us is, no, 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 that may look foolish to the world, but that's actually the wisdom of God. That Christ dying on the cross, a crucified Savior, is what saves. That you and I are not fighting against other people, that we're fighting against flesh and blood. That our biggest enemy that you and I have is, is not somebody else. It's not the Methodists. It's not Hermley as much as we want to make and jokes about them. Our biggest enemy that you and I have dwells within our hearts. It's us. It's our sin. And that Christ comes and defeats death by dying, a death that he didn't deserve in our place and imputing to us, crediting to us his righteousness looks like foolishness to the world. What kind of king dies? The ultimate king. The kind of king that doesn't die a death he deserves, but dies the death that you and I deserve. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Do not be deceived. Our world, churches, other people will talk about the word gospel in all sorts of different ways. It's foolishness. It's good news. It's not good advice. It's news. It's something that's been done. One of the more pervasive uh, distorting deceptions of the gospel that takes place around us is the gospel of self-esteem. It goes like this. You're good enough. That God looked down and he saw you and he saw that you were good and so he decided, I need you so God saves you based on your inerrant goodness. That you're strong enough. That God made you strong. If you'll just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, if you'll just get it together, you can do it. Pull yourself up. You're strong enough. That you are enough. That if you can just rid yourself of all the negativity, if you can just isolate yourself away from all those who don't support you, who don't give you all the things that you feel like you need, that you are enough. That's the gospel of self-esteem, and it's pervasive in our culture because it's really the gospel of works. It's just repackaged. You can be good enough to get to God. That's what we're saying. You can be strong enough to earn your way to the Lord. That's what that gospel says. You, you are, Jesus needs you more than you need Jesus. That's what that gospel ultimately is saying. That's not the truth. See, the gospel's good news, and for it to be good news, we must understand that there is bad news too. And that bad news is that you and I are not good enough. The Bible tells us over and over, we can do good actions, we can do good things, but our hearts, when we boil them down, are sinful and they rebel against the Lord. That we're not good enough. And that we're not strong enough. We might be physically strong, some of us might be stronger than others. I, I spent a week with Mark Colifer working on a roof and I realized that man is far stronger than I will ever be. We're not strong enough to earn our way to God. In fact, we're not enough. See, that's bad news. And I think that's why the gospel of self-esteem is so pervasive within our our culture and within our influential groups, especially on social media, is is because we look at the bad news and we go, well, that's depressing. 
What hope is there if I can't do it within myself? That's where the true gospel comes in. It exposes that deception that Satan lays on us. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. The gospel is good news because it takes us where we're at and it deals with the reality of who we are and the stance that we have before God that we're not good enough, that we're not strong enough, that we're not enough in and of ourselves. And it says, it's okay, Jesus is good enough. Jesus is strong enough. Jesus is enough. It takes the hopelessness and brings hope. We're actually saved from something to someone. So let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. The gospel of self-esteem lies to us. But there's another deception that takes place, and it's very subtle, but, and, 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 I, and you'll agree with me when I say it, but if we're honest with ourselves, I think we all fall into these traps, which is, by what authority is the gospel saying these things? What, what authority do I make decisions in my life? Well, there's the authority of experience. I did this one time, and so now I'm going to continue doing it this way every time. We learned that this week, right? We were at Tinian. We went to Tinian last year. We learned a lot last year of what not to do. And so now this year we show up and we were more prepared with, with what to do. And so we use that experience, which is a good thing. God has given us experience. He has given you a memory, given you an ability to say, this didn't work. I'm going to tweak it and make it better for the next time. That experience can be a good thing. But that is not our ultimate authority. If your experience comes in contradiction with the word of God, the word of God wins. tradition it's not our ultimate authority now traditions are good things God has given those things to us that we can be proud of some of our traditions that we hold to but at the end of the day if the way we've always done it if our tradition comes in confrontation with the gospel with the good news with the Bible the Bible wins not tradition our emotions and our feelings listen Your emotions are not bad, and your feelings are not bad. God has given you those things. Now, I have two daughters. We have this conversation, it feels like minute by minute, that you cannot be controlled by your emotions. And sometimes we think this is just something for females, and it's not for men, and that's not true. I've seen men yell at some of the dumbest things. Go to the golf course with me. We'll go watch some guys yell. Emotions and feelings are not bad things, but they're not ultimate either. That just because you feel a certain way, just because you have emotions about a certain thing, doesn't make it the ultimate authority in your life. The Word of God is. That's how you expose the deception. Because the gospel of self-esteem and whatever false gospel we may fall into, all of them end up whittling down to the gospel of of works somehow tend to thrive when we elevate experience, when we elevate emotions and feelings, or when we elevate tradition. That's where the gospel there thrives because it can feel right, and it's the way we've always done it. And in my experience, when we talk about those things, it can make us feel like it works, can feel like we're doing the right things, but that's not the gospel of Jesus. 
The gospel of Jesus is Jesus died in my place so that I might live. Do not be deceived. Don't fall into those traps. Verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise are futile. What what, what Paul is doing is he's quoting two Old Testament passages and two important Old Testament passages. The first one is Job chapter 5, verse 13. We we won't read it because Paul quotes it for us. But if you know the story of Job, it's a great book for us to remember. Uh, you, you have Satan who goes to God because there's a man named Job who's living righteously and says, I'm gonna, I want to tempt him. If you would let me tempt him, then he would sin and he would fail. And God says, you can do all sorts of things, but he puts parameters on Satan, which gives us a huge understanding into the limited power that Satan actually has. It's not like him and God are equals fighting. He is far below the Lord. And so Satan goes and he tempts Job and he does all sorts of things to Job. And Job has all these friends that come and they give him terrible advice and his wife wants to leave. All of those things take place within like the first one or two chapters of Job. The the book itself is 40 chapters long. And so what we see Paul quoting here from Job is he catches the wise in their craftiness. The intelligence of the wise, the the wicked in Job, proves to be their undoing. And it's their undoing because that's God's sovereign design. He has built you and I, he has wired you and I to have wisdom when we lean and when we trust and when we depend on God. And when we veer from that and try to do things within our own wisdom, it may look on paper like it works and it may work for a little while, but at the end of the day, it always is destructive. The other passage is Psalm 94.11. The Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. Knowing with it in the Bible, especially Old Testament, carries with it this idea that's more than just an awareness of what's going on. Like, I, I know what's happening within my life. That's, that's, it carries a deeper meaning than that. It carries with it the idea that God has ordained, that God knows what's going on. He's in control of these things. It's not a passive thing. It's an active. Knowing is, is active and it produces the outcome of righteousness. That's what Paul's telling us. So he, he quotes these two Old Testament passages to remind the Corinthians, you may think you're wise, but let me remind you of what the Bible says, what God says. The wisdom of the world is ultimately foolishness. And the reason it's foolishness is because God has made it that way. The, the, the way those sentences are nuanced is it makes it abundantly clear that God makes the wisdom of the world foolish. The deception is exposed and that the crucified Savior wins because the foolishness of the cross proves to be the foundation worth building on. Satan is deceptive. And he throws all sorts of temptations towards us. We have the word of God given to us to help us see the truth. That the foolishness of the cross, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died in my place, 
is actually the wisdom of God. And that the wisdom of the world, that you should pull yourself up and that you're good enough and that you're strong enough, that, that you follow your experience and you follow your traditions and you follow your emotions and your feelings to a fault is, is actually foolishness. That leads you astray and leads to destruction. Deceptions exposed, godly wisdoms revealed. Look at verse 21. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Remember what had just happened in the passage right before this. And, and has been a constant and consistent theme in, in the church at Corinth up to this point is this unity that has been suffering because everybody has their favorite teachers. And so Paul brings those teachers back up and he says, let no one boast in human leaders. Right? You don't have much to boast about in your pastor, I promise. But every now and then you'll meet somebody who's real proud. And what Paul is saying is human leaders are not God. What he's telling this church is, is you, God has, and God has given, like, listen to the, the pastors this church has had. Paul, pretty good, wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. Cephas, that's Peter. The apostle with the foot-shaped mouth is what John MacArthur calls him. He speaks more than any other disciple in all of the New Testament. He's one of the main leaders in the church when it's first formed in Jerusalem. He's the apostle who walks with Jesus. He's the apostle who cuts off the ear of the guard in the garden. He's the apostle who denies Jesus three times. He's the apostle who Jesus comes to him and says, Do you love me three different times? That's that Peter that this church is going with. And you have Apollos, who seems to be kind of the most popular one there, who's a, a man that Paul references several times in his letter. He says he, he, he was really good at speaking, but his doctrine was off, and so he had Priscilla and Aquila take him aside, straighten him out, send him back. And now you have Apollos who's running through and preaching these things. They had a phenomenal lineup of preachers. And what Paul is saying is, don't boast in them. It doesn't matter if Billy Graham is your pastor. It's human. You don't boast in your human leaders. You boast in your Savior, in Jesus Christ. You glorify God. Boastfulness, factionalism, pride are all these sins that are deceptive that Satan throws at us and that we far too often cling to. What Paul's telling this church is, you're settling for something much smaller than what God has for you. You're boasting in your human leaders when in the passage right before he says the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And it's important for us, and just an important side note to say, all, all of the people that Paul is mentioning here are orthodox, godly pastors, preachers, evangelists, whatever label we want to put on them, apostles. 
So, so Paul is not saying you just follow every person who claims to be a pastor, every person who claims to be an evangelist, every person who claims that kind of authority. That's not what Paul is saying. And in other places, that he says that very clearly that there's qualifications for these things to be those kinds of leaders. He's not saying just follow every person blindly, but what he is saying is, is you don't boast in those people either. Whether it's the Apostle Paul, whether it's Apollos, whether it's Cephas, Peter. In fact, he says this weird phrase that I've been wrestling with with a lot, trying to kind of sort out everything is yours, is what Paul tells them. And so he says, everything is yours, and he starts listing out everything that they're, they're kind of struggling with. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, everything is yours. There's a passage in Romans that Paul also wrote that echoes some of these things that he's saying. I want to read it. This is Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, you are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is doing for the Corinthians and what Paul was doing for the Romans is he's pointing out all things have been given to you, that everything within your life God has given to glorify Him and to pull you, to draw you, to use, to sanctify, to disciple you more and more in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not all things are going to be easy, and not all things are going to be cupcake and rainbows. Right, in, in the passage in Corinthians, they kind of have a positive tilt to them. But in the passage in Romans, these are all the things that can't separate us from God. Life, death, meant to bring us closer to the Lord. Things present Whatever's happening within our life is not beyond our God. It's meant to be used by God for His glory to draw us into Him, the things to come. When we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, that He's going to come back again, is meant to long to draw our hearts to understand that we have this longing within inside of us that is not set here. This isn't our eternal home that we're longing to be with Christ forever. That that's meant to draw us further into the gospel and help us understand that our life here is, is fading and that we don't have to hold to these things so tightly. Paul's not saying everything will be perfect for believers. But he is saying that everything is for our benefit. We talked about this in, in Genesis, and I, I thought about it a lot this week. Um, as we're, Tinian is just an impoverished place. We, we sent pinto beans and rice for them to, to eat, and that's what they ate. The idea of blessing we, we, we get mi- mixed up in. A blessing is anything that draws us to the Lord. So it can be seen as a good thing. You find $20 in the Lord, blessing. But it could also be you get sick and you're reminded that you are weak. It could be a blessing if it draws us to God. It's not going to be perfect, but for believers... Everything is for our benefit. Everything is meant to draw us closer to God. And we see this beautiful theological statement at the end. 
and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. That the role of Jesus over the world, that his triumph over death finds its roots in his relationship with God, the Father. The Trinity is a very complicated thing in that we cannot fully understand it. There is one God in three persons. Three persons is important language. One God in three persons. Each person of the Trinity is complete and fully God in and of themselves. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. But there's not three gods. There's one God in three persons who reveals himself to us that way. And so what this means then is we look at this passage of Scripture and it says we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Well, the whole purpose of the book of Corinthians right now has been about this unity that has been fighting within the church. And it's Paul saying Christ is unified with God. Within the Trinity there is this holy and this perfect unity that is unseverable that cannot be taken away. That's why on the cross when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he's quoting a psalm is really Jesus saying you're lavishing the sin. That's the hardest part for the crucifixion. That's why Jesus' crucifixion isn't just another man dying on a cross. It's God taking our place on the cross. But there's unity there within the Godhead. And if there's unity within the Godhead and you and I are called to be like Christ, it means that at best, as a church body, we should be unified with one another in the most important things. There will be secondary things that we can disagree on. I still will fight to this day that cargo shorts are the best thing you should wear, period, the end. You can disagree with me and you can be wrong. It's fine. (laughs) But at the end of the day, on the most important things, on the very definition of the gospel that Jesus died in my place, on the understanding of who God is, a triune God, one God in three persons, that we cling to those things. We understand that those are deals that we hold and we hold with closed fists. We do not change those at all. But in secondary things, we're charitable with one another. And in tertiary things, we just laugh about them. Because everything in life is meant to draw us deeper in the Lord. Every faithful minister that you listen to, whether it be somebody on the radio or somebody on a podcast or some other church, or or here I pray that I am faithful in the Lord. It's not meant to be worshipped, but they're meant to push you and draw you closer to God. Every circumstance that you go through, It's meant to push you and to draw you closer to the Lord. Whether it's a good circumstance and you're on a vacation or you're going on a trip or you're doing whatever. It's meant to push you and to draw you closer to the Lord. Or maybe it's a sickness or some health deteriorating or something like that that is a tough circumstance. It's meant to push you and draw you closer to the Lord. Everything is yours. Paul's looking at this church and he's saying... You've settled about fighting over human pastors. Look at everything else that the Lord has done. All of these things are for you. Quit fighting about who's the best preacher. They're all faithful is what Paul's saying. Find a faithful preacher and live it out. 
the end of the day, what Paul's doing here is he's helping us to understand that we glorify the God who gives wisdom. And that the wisdom that God gives us, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, looks very different than the wisdom that the world proclaims. So to have this, we must have a right view of what wisdom in ourselves is. And and the best thing that we can do is understand that the Bible is our ultimate authority on this. We'll all agree. But if we truly believe that, then it means that we read the Bible. It means that we study it. That we're consistent with it. The right view of wisdom, our understanding of our right view of others is vital if we're going to have wisdom. That you find godly leaders, that you find a healthy church, and that you plug in. That you find brothers and sisters who walk with you through life, through the good times and the bad times. You're going to need them for both. And the truth is, they'll need you too. We must have a right view of our possessions. Everything that you and I have is not actually ours. We have been given those things by the Lord, whether that's our finances or whether that's our children. We steward them for God. Ultimately, it's His. Lastly, we must have a right view of Jesus. perfect son of God who lives a life that you and I should live and he dies the death that you and I deserve to atone for the sins that you and I earned as we rebelled against God against him deception is tricky we must not be too arrogant about this Because where arrogance rises, so does pride. And when pride rises up, so does factionalism. And so does boasting within things that we shouldn't be boasting about. And then we end up being deceived and falling prey to the schemes of the devil. We must humbly follow after the biblical picture of who Jesus is. And lean in and trust the gospel of Jesus Christ for everything. Because you and I are not good enough, but Jesus is. And you and I are not strong enough but Jesus is. You and I are not enough, but Christ is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you that we do get to gather together this morning, that we can understand, God, that there is bad news within our lives.